So it's time for our kids' corner here this morning. Um, so good morning, girls. Good morning, Aurora. It's nice to see you today. Would you guys be more comfortable to sit or to stand? What do you think? All right. Yeah, let's do it that way. So I'm going to kind of stand for this one just because I've been sitting anyway. But so I have a kind of tough question again. I bring these every time. I'm sorry they're so hard. This one today is going to be particularly tough. I think it's going to even stump the adults, I believe. But here it is. Let's try this. So what is life? Oh, okay. Something you only have one of? Well, all right. Yep. Got to enjoy it while you still have it. Well, these are all good answers. What do you think? Isn't life kind of hard to define, isn't it? You know, and most of us are used to kind of the science book answer, which describes the things that life does, like life is things that breathe and interact with the environment. And, yeah. Some people can succeed more because they have a positive attitude. Is life fair? Oh, that's a whole other discussion. Let's not even open that can of worms. Actually, the story I want to tell today, and this is where this gets tough. See, in, in the modern world, we tend to think of this in terms of science and the things that life does. But the Bible has a completely different perspective that I think we have a hard time reaching back to. And it goes kind of like this. Life is your soul. Life is in the soul. But what is the soul thing? Now, that's going to be even more. Yeah, go ahead. What do you think, Aurora? So it's what's in you so that you can live, right? And uh, we kind of sort of think of it as all kind of separated out maybe because Eventually, our bodies die, right? But our soul lives on. You know, that is what the Bible teaches. And did you notice, by the way, when we were doing our music and stuff today, there was a lot of reference to water. Did you pick that up? Especially that last one, the deer song there, right? You know, and, and it's because the, this, I want to talk a minute about how the Bible describes your soul. And this is what I want the adults to puzzle through later, because this one is tough. And it goes kind of like this. The soul is your basic essence. It's who you are. It's what ties together all your thoughts and your heart and your body and how you interact in the world. It ties that all together. It's also the source of your life, and it works kind of like water flowing you know, it flows out into all these directions in our, live, our lives and sort of straightens them out. It puts them in order and it refreshes them. And, you know, but where does all that water come from? See, that's the thing. And the Bible's perspective on it is it kind of flows down from God into us. So I got a question for you like this, and this is how I want to leave it with you guys, and I think this might be helpful. 
Do you have friends that, you know, when you're with them, you are just like completely energized? You know what I'm talking about here? That's how it's supposed to be with us and God. You know, when, when soul, when life flows down through us from God, it should be energizing and exciting and joyful. And, you know, like there's times when you spend with your bestie, you know, right? All right, let me see if I can get the adults to pick up on this one, because this one's going to get a little tough, right? Thank you, guys. So, All right, are we ready for this? <laughs> Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You know, so I have a story here, and this is what I think is the key to true happiness. You know, it's what really gives meaning in life. You know, and a number of years ago, we had friends that, well, they were neighbors, actually, that moved in across the street from us, and they fell on their really hard times right after they got there. Um, she had been diagnosed with colon cancer in her 30s, and he was an excavator, and he fell off his tractor and broke his shoulder so he couldn't really dig holes, you know, and they began to wonder how they were going to make ends meet on their new mortgage, you know, and uh, Lisa and I stepped in and actually made that payment for them for a few months, you know, and the thing of it is, now it was more than 20 years ago, actually almost 25 looking back on it, and at the time I was a little bit nervous about doing this and I kept thinking about all the different things I could do with that money and I should probably put it away and save it for retirement or something along that line. So there were all these draws on my heart kind of against doing what I did, right? But I can't think of something else I could have done with that money that I'd still be talking about 25 years later. If I'd have went and bought a car or taken a vacation, the car would be in the junkyard, the vacation would be an ancient memory, and it wouldn't have done anything, wouldn't still be doing anything for my soul, for the core of who I am. And I think that this is what the Bible is trying to get us to see, that that is where the meaning of our life lies, at least it should. So I want to try and take what I told the kids sort of a step further, so bear with me here. You know, the soul, this nefesh thing that the Bible keeps talking about, it's a rather complex idea to us. You know, it, it is the life force in us, but it's inextinguishable life force. It lives on. It doesn't die with us. But it's also the core of who we are. It's what ties together our thoughts and our heart, that is our will and desires, and, and, and our body, and even how we interact in the world. It ties it all together. See, life in the biblical view is sort of this self-initiating, self-directing, sort of self-sustaining individual power. That is the soul. But this, <clears throat> this individual power, it, it receives 
it's limited self-sufficiency from an inflow from God. And then this, this life then, this sort of life that we live in the soul, this derivative life flows through the individual in its own soul. Only God is, has the fullest sense of life. That is, he possesses undying life. He is life in himself. But God is also soul, just like we. And, and you know, and, and to kind of back that up, I, I want to read a verse here. It's from Matthew. It's Matthew 12, 18, actually. It's um, a reaction to Jesus' baptism. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. The very core of God's being is pleased to do what Jesus did for us. The very core of God is pleased to love us and make the sacrifice that makes us whole. That's kind of an amazing thing, I think. Um, you know, God basically holds the souls of earth in his hand. And it, when it comes to the soul of man, that soul is designed for intimate communion with God. You see, in the human, the, you know, spiritual life in the kingdom of God is basically central to the soul. It's the reality of life that we are supposed to live in. You know, and by the way, your soul and its reality is reality. And I'm going to touch that in a second, but, you know, God, did you ever notice that we have a tendency to sort of talk to ourselves in our head and debate with, with ourselves, you know, right? Well, that is our soul reaching out to the other parts of our body, but our soul isn't just intended to, you know, debate with our heart and mind. It's our soul that's depended to connect or intended to connect to God. That communication is to be a reality check between us and God. Not just talking to me about whether or not I can get away with what I want to do or something along that line or, you know, if it skirts the margins of Christianity or something along that line. Um, so the soul at its, deepest, is, at its deepest level, it is ourself at its deepest level, and it functions as intended when it's, when it, blah, 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 sorry, when it's in relationship with God. It's the soul that unifies all these other aspects of the person, the mind, the heart, the body, the social sphere, and the soul draws its meaning from God. And its meaning is its perceived reality. Now, let me talk about that for a second, because reality is kind of a slippery thing. You know, we can't just decide what reality is, yet we each perceive a different reality in our lives. You know, and when I say we can't just decide what it is, what I mean here, just to be very clear, is that I can't one day decide I'm going to believe in God and whammo, I got it. It takes a lot more than that to develop a reality in my mind that jibes with my soul. It takes time. It takes being in the Word. 
It takes experience in the world. This meaning is the reality then of our soul. And a soul with meaning can endure almost anything. If you talk to the concentration camp survivors of World War II and ask them what got them through, every one of them will tell you some meaning, some area where they had meaning. If they could comfort the other people around them, if they could smile in spite of the pain, they found meaning and they survived it. But by contrast, the soul without meaning is so destroyed that it can barely get through the day. So that soul generally turns to performance to do, to, for its meaning. You know, in other words, that soul will say, uh, well, let me put this in real terms here, in my terms. I'm a good father. That's where my meaning is. I'm a good pastor. That's what my, well, maybe not that bad, but I'm working on it, right? <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. In other words, it's basically an attempt. We try to earn love in the world by what we're doing. It's akin to trying to earn a place in heaven just by our works and being good people. Neither works, and both result in fear, and worse, taken to an extreme, this lack of meaning. It'll search for its own meaning, and it's usually called fanaticism when that happens, because once that soul gloms on to whatever new meaning it picks up, it can't abide by something that denies that meaning. You know, every cult, every dictator realizes what I'm saying, even whether they know it or not. You crush the soul and redefine meaning and control the man. Every dictator in the 20th century has preyed upon this They'll, they'll even help you destroy your soul and offer you the cure that really isn't a cure. You know, to some extent, this is how fear also works in our lives. Whether it's fear that stems from within us or imposed on us from outside, the cure for fear, by the way, it's God. It's his word. It's his never-ending supply of enlivening living water. And this is what the soul lives on. This is the Bible's perspective. Modern science disagrees. Psychology disagrees. They deny that there is a soul. Um, and, and so their diagnosis and prescription for problems runs contrary to the Bible to some extent. But who among us hasn't yet realized this? And if you haven't yet, if you're young, I promise you, one day this is coming you will realize that the spiritual is more real than the physical world around us. It'll happen. It is. The point of the last several messages, all of these messages on transformation, the transformation of the mind, the heart, thoughts, emotions, all of that basically gets at transforming the soul. All of these things unite in the soul, and if they're all working in, the, in, in concert with each other, it's like streams of water that flow into a river, and the river builds, and it keeps flowing in the, in the right direction. It becomes unstoppable. 
And I know that these sermons have seemed at times like prescriptions. What we need to do as Christians is we need to do this. But really, I want to be clear. I'm not trying to redefine Christianity and turn it into a faith by works. That isn't it. Here's, here it is. It is to align our reality with the reality of God. That's it. You know, actually, Jesus puts it like this. You know, we're, we're to take on the yoke of Jesus, right? We're to take on his reality. His reality, his yoke is easy, mostly because he's pulling. He's the one doing the work. We're just walking along in that reality. You know, the, the problem is, in, in the natural human, all of these areas, mind, body, soul, they're all, I'm sorry, mind, body, spirit, are all corrupted because the natural man turns to himself as God. It, it makes the man a rebel against God, actually. And this is the issue of sin, I know. We've all heard that sin is sickness, you know, and it is that, but it's rather more than that. It's actually kind of like agreeing to be insane sort of sickness. It's rebellion, and that's why reconciliation was necessary through the cross. You know, and I know I began this sermon with, I know true happiness. I know the key. I know the meaning. But yet, oh, there's something shiny, and off I go. Aren't we like that? You know, Christ has set us free to be free, not to fall back into our old ways. That's why we're to yoke with him in this new reality. We can bring our soul into harmony with God. It'll align, our, our, our whole being aligns with this harmony. The soul integrates and enlivens us no matter what our surrounding events. That's the, the purpose here. It orders and runs our lives in accordance with our will. That's what our soul does. And without contradiction, when I say without contradiction, this is what I mean. I can say that I intend to be the kind of guy that helps other people. But if I neglect every opportunity to do that, am I not being self-contradictory? It keeps us in harmony with reality, the higher reality beyond our mere perceptions. It keeps our thoughts subjugated to God which helps us align how we feel about the things that happen to us in this world. We live in the world giving love and flourishing others through the love that we give that flows to us from God. And we truly become that Psalm 1 man that delights in the way of God. And the life, <clears throat> and, and we live the life that is life, that is eternal life. Life with eternal values. Life as it should be. We can live that. We're called to live that now in our soul. It becomes the reality and the meaning of our soul. And yet again, sadly, we see something shiny 
and all bets are off here. Right? So that's our struggle as people. For the natural man, such a life is, is unattainable because Jesus Christ is not reality to him. He'll always miss the mark because he'll always fall back into self-worship. Sadly, many Christians only partially realize this, and we fall back into this yoke of slavery to sin. That is, we don't live the life that is life, and instead accept being dead in, in life that we make ourselves God to. You know, I want to kind of try and land this plane here, and, and, and I want to say it this way. Consider what Jesus said in our reading today. What does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? But is this even possible? Can you actually lose your soul? What does it actually mean to sell your soul? Well, here's what it means. I, I believe this. It means that your whole life is no longer connected and it's no longer directed by that inner stream. And it isn't because you're, the meaning in your life has become completely about you, about profit, about the bottom line. And I'm trading my life's energy for money, for worldly things. And I could gain a world doing that, but what I'm gaining is a world that's going to die anyway. This world is passing away. We're passing out of it. What good does it do to get that world? If in the process of doing it, I've never lived the life, that is, I've never known the true joy, the true meaning of loving my neighbor. You know, I'm reminded of the movie Schindler's List for those that have, haven't seen it or it's been a long time. I guess that's like 30 years ago now. Oh, man. <laughs> but in that movie, you know, the story is, is the story of a Nazi, actually, that developed a heart for his, well, basically Jewish slaves. And he began to sell off his, his, some of his possessions so that he could rescue these people, bring more of these people to work in his factory because he knew as long as they were productive, they would miss the gas chamber. But in the end, in the final analysis, Schindler looks at all his prized possessions and he thinks, I could have sold this and I could have sold that and I could have done more, but I hung on. I hung on to this neat lapel button. Why? Was it really worth more than another human life? Connected to God, our souls realize that they have the power and capacity beyond anything that we could even dream. So here it is then. Why would we compromise? Why compromise? Why go pursue me as God and not live in the reality of God as God? So how do you know that you have arrived? I think it's here. Your, your reality is secured in God. Your soul is at rest. You know you've done right. You're not internally 
contradictory. And even at the end of the worst day, you can sleep like a baby. And by sleep like a baby, I want to be clear, I don't mean wake up screaming every two hours. <laughs> anyway, thank you.